0: this morning and it's a a great place to be. Uh, Rick Stewart is with us this morning. Rick, uh, former OSU tight end and best friend of the pastor over a hundred years. That's right, right down here down front. Rick, it's great to have you here today. And John Thompson, um, a soul brother who will come this morning to speak to us on missions Sunday. Uh, John has always had a heart for Jesus and it's taken him around the world. And uh, just this last year, I got got caught up in the draft and uh, went to Nepal, uh, largely because of his ministry. I joined him in his ministry to Christian leaders, and uh, around the globe, Scott Burnett went with us, and I think Scott spoke actually to probably more business leaders than I spoke to pastors. But we got in on training up uh, 85 pastors and and hundreds of business leaders in, in that country and in South Africa, and it was a joy to go Uh, In the wake of John's ministry, it had its touch all about it, and uh, it's a joy to have him here today. Uh, John is presently the director of the Doctor of Ministry program at Oral Roberts University in Theology. Uh, He's also the founder and leader of Global Equip, uh, the ministry that I was just talking about this morning. He has a heart for the world because he has a heart for Jesus, and I think this morning you'll hear and see both as he comes Would you join me in prayer for John as he comes this morning to speak to us? Lord God, we thank you for John, for the calling upon his life, for the way your spirit uses him around the world. And we trust your Holy Spirit, especially on this Pentecost Sunday, to speak your word to our hearts. Open our ears, Lord Jesus, that through him we might hear from you. In your holy name, we pray. And we await your word. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here with you all. Um, Pastor Chris said uh, in his email, uh, it's May, so business casual, polo and dress slacks would be great. Great men think alike. Um, I didn't see the fine print about the black shirt and the gray pants, but, you know, I had another blue shirt in my car, and I said, should I go out and get the blue shirt? And he said, no, no, you're fine. But uh, I feel comfortable anyway because uh, your electric guitarist, Richard, also had a black polo on, so we're the three amigos, all right? But I want to say thank you for sending Pastor Chris and Scott to Nepal last year. And they're planning on going again this fall to Nepal to invest in what God is doing in that nation. It is absolutely amazing what's taking place there. This is a place um, that the kingdom is exploding. It's officially less than 1% Christian, but actually we think it's about 5% now because the, the gospel is expanding so quickly. It's a place where uh, the church has he- has experienced very heavy persecution. A decade ago, the queen there was arresting pastors, throwing them in jail. Uh, the queen and king were deposed. Um, after that point, persecution is has lessened. It is still there in the country, but it is a time of flourishing. It is a time of on the heels of great sacrifice of men and women who've chosen to follow Jesus. Uh, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and we're seeing the church explode there. And we get to step in and be a part of what God's doing and really empower pastors and business leaders um, to be all that God wants them to be. And uh, we're engaged with a mission organization there that is planting churches. For the last two years, they planted 20 churches those pastors and their wives are in our training. They're young. They're tenacious. Uh, they don't say, they don't give up. Pastor Benjamin is one of those pastors. Pastor Benjamin um, pastors in a, um, in a slum in Kathmandu. And in that slum, he somehow got enough funds to build a church. And then the government came in and bulldo- bulldozed down the slum. And the church. He didn't know what to do. He was walking through the area praying. People were coming out to him and saying. Pastor Benjamin. You got to do this again. He didn't know if he maybe should just. Hang it up and go somewhere else. But he felt like God was in it. So he built another church. Only to be bulldozed down again. And so these people of great poverty. Went out and gathered their little bit of money. And they bought a blue tarp. And they roll it out on the dirt. And they gather for church. God is doing amazing things in Nepal. Uh, Global Equip is the organization that I started. And it is a great pleasure to take pastors and others to these nations of poverty, of difficulty, and and train pastors. We put together a Global Leadership Institute. It's a training that's six weeks long that's broken up over three years, or in Nepal, six years, because we do one week a year in Nepal of the six weeks of training. And uh, we're giving them just some basics of Bible, basics of ministry and leadership, and church planning and evangelism. 94% of pastors in developing nations have no Bible school training. And yet, they came to Christ, and they hear God call them to, to pastor and to reach people for Jesus, they just go do it. And so we're able to come in and step alongside of them and give them some, some stuff that hopefully helps them, and then we just see them go out and plant more churches. It is just tremendous. We're, in, we're involved in places that um, just aren't really on the world map. Nepal is just tucked up into the Himalayas. India, its neighbor to the south, is really the big gorilla of the region. They're the powerhouse. And Nepal, you know, is just sort of tucked away. One of those super poor nations in the earth. We're involved in West Africa and places like Sierra Leone, which, again, is one of the 20 poorest nations in the earth, 70% Muslim there, and the church is exploding. It's great pleasure to be involved in these places of poverty, places that really nobody thinks much about. Places of insignificance. But what I've discovered is God loves to do the most significant things in the most insignificant places. In fact, Jesus himself went to a very insignificant place to do his greatest work. We find this in Matthew chapter 4. So I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Verse 12 to verse 19. Matthew 4. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth. And remember the little saying about Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Then he left there and moved to Capernaum. Beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River. Catch this. Beyond the Jordan River. It was within the boundaries of the Jordan River is the promised land. But this is beyond the Jordan River. It's outside of the promised land, outside of where, you know, everybody had dreamed of being if you were a a Jew. In Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, or as another translation says, the Galilee of the Gentiles. This is where Jesus is moving to. This is where he's going to do his ministry, to establish his headquarters, in a place that's not the religious center of that region. It's not Jerusalem. In fact, it's a three-day journey from Jerusalem. I mean, if you're going to come and display your power on earth, you want to go near the temple, that's in Jerusalem. That's where God's presence was felt and experienced in the millennia before. But Jesus is on this mission And he goes beyond the Jordan. He goes to the land where the Gentiles live. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent for your sins and and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they were fishing for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Come, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Would you repeat that with me? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you, through your son Jesus, invite us this morning. You invite us to come. You invite us to freshly follow You invite us into your work. You invite us to be transformed by you. To be your witnesses in places of darkness. So let us fulfill that, we pray. God, I ask that you put power on this message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Land of Zebulun and Naphtali. This is where Jesus went to do his ministry. This place of darkness, this place where the Gentiles were at, this is where Jesus sets up his headquarters. On the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, on the south shore, about 15 miles from uh, the beach... Of Galilee on the south side is a Roman um, city. This was a military place of retirement, so lots of people of power in the Roman Empire would have lived in, uh, I can't even say it right, Scopolis, the city to the south of Galilee. I would think if Jesus wants to display his power to the known world, he would have gone there. That would have been a good spot. Or maybe on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee, because that's where Tiber- uh, that, that's was where Tiberius is at. This city that was the capital of that region. We have Herod the Tetrarch who lives in that place. That's a place of significance. Maybe he should have put his headquarters there. Or certainly it should have been in Jerusalem, but instead it's this three day walk from Jerusalem way up. In this out-of-the-way place, that's where Jesus does, as the scriptures tell us, he does most of his miracles in three little villages of Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin, up on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Because God loves to do the most significant things in the most insignificant places. And you know what? That's good news for me. I grew up in the farm, tucked out in the middle of nowhere. And now I live in the booming metropolis of Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. (laughs) We're not really on the political map. You and I, we don't live in Washington, D.C. We don't live in L.A. We don't even live in Dallas. We live in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And God loves to do his most significant things in the most insignificant places. We find in the text that Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee when he encounters two fishermen. He's not in the synagogue. He's not in the temple. He is out among people in ordinary, ordinary life where they do their work. And there he encounters these two men And there he calls them. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. God loves to engage most dramatically, not here on Sunday morning. We've experienced his presence here this morning. This has been a powerful time of worship, of communion. This is so rich. And yet, the richness that's here is, God wants to do even more out there. He wants us to be disciples in the workplace more than disciples here in the pews. God's intention is that in our ordinary day, in our ordinary life, at work, at home, in the neighborhood, God wants to show his great power. God wants to reveal himself. Jesus wants to walk with us there and do amazing things. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Say that again with me. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. That first part, come, follow me wonderful invitation that Jesus gives people to come and follow him. Come and follow Jesus. It's this idea of relationship, right? It's this idea of walking with Jesus, being with him. And I tell you, this relationship doesn't have a shelf life. It's not like a spiritual Twinkie You can put it on the shelf, your relationship with God, and let it sit there for years, and you can still eat it. No, this is like fresh fruits and vegetables. You know, they didn't have refrigeration back then. You had to go to the market every day, and if you just let stuff sit, it rotted. We can't let our relationship with Christ sit. It begins to rot. It's a fresh invitation. Come follow me, enjoy me, experience me, listen to me, not just on Sunday morning, oh, but walk in the road of life. I've been reading a book by Jorg Rieger, and it's called Faith on the Road. And in the book, he contends that in the scriptures, we see a lot of journeys we look at the Old Testament, we see the journey of Abraham to leave the place that's comfortable and to go to this place that is unknown. And if he does that, God's going to use him to bless the nations, And then we fast forward to Moses and the Israelites and God leads them out of captivity and then they wander in the wilderness. They journey through the wilderness for 40 years on their way to the promised land. And yet it's there in the wilderness that they meet God in this desolate place at Mount Sinai. It's there that they learn to worship God and how to live in community with one another. It's on this rugged journey that they experience God in dramatic ways. And then we fast forward and we find another journey. The people have lived in the land in disobedience and now they are exiles being taken out and they have to go to this foreign place, this difficult place. And they turn their hearts back to the Lord. Then we come to the New Testament and Jesus's life is filled with journeys. You know, Jesus, when he was an infant. His parents had to flee to Egypt for safety. They come back and they move to Nazareth. When Jesus grows up, he moves down to Capernaum. But he says to the people around him, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's a person on the move. He's a person who's not settled, not just living the comfortable life. He's traveling around this region and he's doing these miraculous works there and we find times when he does travel down to Jerusalem and he preaches in the temple. Jesus is on the move. Paul is on the move. Three incredible missionary journeys and they weren't easy. Shipwrecked, beaten, persecuted, and yet the church is established. Finally, the Bible wraps up with John in exile on the island of Patmos. You know what? These are not Journeys of Tourism. And Jorg, in his book, draws this contrast. When we think about travel, our idea is tourism. No, it's not the comfortable travel where you go stay in the nice hotel and you put up your feet at the beach. That's not the image we have in Scripture. The image we have in Scripture is that of the Syrian refugee. That's the kind of travel we see played out in Scripture. Life is not going to be easy. It can be challenging, and yet that's where we encounter God. So the invitation is, come, follow me. Let's get up out of our settled life, out of our comfort zone. Where is Jesus saying to you, come, follow me? Come into this new thing I want you to do. I want you to be about. Come. You've been settled too long. It's time for a fresh journey. And it won't be easy. This isn't the vacation journey. This is the migrant journey. But in this journey, you will encounter the power of God. Come, follow me and I will make you. Ooh. See, when we follow Jesus, when we're close on his heels, when we're pursuing relationship with him, he begins to change us on the inside. This is a journey of transformation. That's what God loves to do. He loves to take this piece of clay and begin to mold it. He loves to make us into his image. We're in that process if we will yield to it. A few years ago, I went and visited a friend down in Midtown, uh, near downtown Tulsa. He and his wife had just bought a beautiful home. It's one of the homes that is on the National Registry of Historic Homes. You know, one of the things about buying an old home is you're always fixing it. So he and his wife, because they were using it for home offices, for their businesses, decided, we're not going to do that thing of spending years fixing up the house. We're going to do it all at once, right up front. So when I went to visit him, I walked into the door and there were crews in just about every room, pounding, just making lots of ruckus. It was just all, you know, up in turmoil. I came back a month later The crews were gone. And as I walked up to the front door, I just stopped and looked. It was incredible. My friend told me the story about the door. The door would have cost the estimated $4,000 to replace. So he wanted it to not be replaced, but let's, let's, you know, get this freshened up. So they took the door off and took it to the workshop. They discovered there were 15 layers of paint. Oh, don't put the slides up till I tell you. Thanks. (laughs) Actually, might as well leave that one up. Go ahead. That one's up. There's the door, right? Now, 15 layers of paint on there. Over the years, a new layer of paint. So in order to get the paint off, they had to put a chemical peel on the door which gets down into the grooves and lifts the, the, the paint out of the grooves. Because if you take a scraper and just scrape the door, you'll ruin it. But if you put this chemical peel on, then it'll lift it out and it won't ruin the door. But they had to do this process over and over again, lifting out more of the paint until they got it all the way back to its original beauty and all the grain pops out of the door. They actually took the panels out and put the glass in the door as well. They looked up on both sides of the door and there was some concrete up there and they decided, you know, I think there's something there. It just doesn't look like just concrete. So the workers put some chemical peel up on the concrete and they began to peel off the paint and what they discovered was in the concrete were these carved lions. I got a picture of that for you as well. See the lions that just pop out on both sides of the door? Amazing. And then they discovered the handle was broken and they were going to just throw it away and get a new one. But they said, you know what? Let's try and fix the handle of the door. So they took the handle off and they pulled it apart and they discovered... On the inside of this broken handle, it was personally signed by the person who had made the handle. And so they fixed the the handle and they put it back on the door. I got a shot of that as well. That's the new handle. It's beautiful. This is exactly what God wants to do in our lives. See, life... From the time we're born, begins to slap layers of paint on our lives. Stuff happens, and we get covered up with all this garbage of life. But God has this incredible design for your life that He wants to bring to the surface. And to do that, when we follow Him, we surrender to Him. The Spirit of God, like that chemical peel, if we'll allow Him, we'll begin to lift out the layers of junk of your past and begin to remove that so that the true you, God's design for your life, begins to come forth. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to restore the door and he wants to reveal the lions. Restore your door and reveal the lions. He wants to transform us if we'll allow him to do that. It doesn't happen overnight, it's this lifelong journey, right? Paul said, being confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ this journey, this process. But it requires this pursuit of Him so we're close enough to His presence that He can do His work in us. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. That's what God wants to do. He wants you to be His witnesses, to be His people in the earth that demonstrate the beauty of God. You're the door of the kingdom to others. So that when people come up to check out this Jesus thing and check out what it means to be in the kingdom of God, they see your life and it looks beautiful and it's inviting and they want to open the kingdom up and enter in themselves They want the kind of thing God's done in your life, in their life. You're the door of the kingdom. There's a pastor that we met. We've been involved in Nepal for four years. The first year we met Pastor Samuel. Pastor Samuel, he's got a great smile, doesn't he? Pastor Samuel in 2004 was from the far eastern part of Nepal. And he came to Kathmandu, the capital, as a business person. And when he was there, he met this church and the people in this church. And he discovered Jesus. And in fact, he had been an alcoholic and he gets set free from alcoholism. And it's only a few few months or a few weeks later that the pastor of that church... Encourages him to go back to his community in eastern Nepal and share what's happened in his own life with the people around him that he knew. In fact, Pastor Samuel says, Pastor Barat didn't really ask me to go, he almost forced me to go. So Samuel went back to his home area and he began to tell people about this amazing Jesus. And now there are 200 believers in five different congregations in the hills of eastern Nepal from his witness, a businessman who discovered Jesus and told others about it. God wants to make us fishers of people right where you're at, in your business, in your workplace, with your coworkers. I have news for you. Pastor Chris is not supposed to disciple the people that you work with. You are. Pastor Chris is not supposed to share the gospel with your neighbors. You are. He's not supposed to help people discover Jesus in your family. You are. So my invitation is come, follow Jesus so that he can make you fishers of people. In your circle of influence. Who's he put in the natural path of your life already? What's he calling you to do next? To get out of your comfort zone. You're settled at work. You're settled in your family. What's he calling you to do? To be the crazy Christian in your circle. To take a risk with the relationships that he's given you. At school, at work, at home. We can talk about missions, and I love to talk about missions. Missions starts here. You are the missionaries of this community. We get to go and train pastors in these places around the world where they and their congregations are the missionaries of their community, their nation, and the nations next door. And it's a great pleasure to be engaged with them. It's awesome. But it starts right here. Starts with us. Say it with me. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. This is what Jesus invites you to this morning. I want to pray for you. For some of you, I want to pray that you would get out of your comfort zone. There is a settledness, a complacency uh, with some of the people in your life, and you know it's time to step up to the plate, to swing the bat, to engage in spiritual activity with the people around you. For some, I'd like to pray because you feel like there's some layers of junk in your life. that You just need a chemical peel. You need God to remove some stuff. And He wants to do that. He wants to lift out some garbage. He wants to make you even more beautiful today than you were yesterday. And I also want to pray for those who might need healing. I just like, whenever I go to churches, I like to pray for people who need healing. You've got some prayer teams, and and they'll be available, but I just want to be selfish and take a moment, pray for you if you need healing as well, all right? So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to offer some prayers here for a moment. And so I want to give you the opportunity to reach out and grab hold of one of those prayers. And if this is you, I start praying um, for a certain thing. If that's you, and you want it, you just you just reach up to heaven and say, Lord, that prayer is for me. Here we go. Jesus, I pray right now for every person in here that your spirit has been challenging them about being complacent, about being too settled. And this is a moment of invitation for them. They hear that and they're saying, yes, I'm going to step up to the plate. I'm gonna get up and move toward the people that you've put into my life for spiritual purposes. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to share with them. I'm going to be engaged in blessing the people around me. And I know you've spoken that to me. And so I pray for every one of those people right now. God, help them to do that. Lord, I pray for this week. I pray for opportunity. And then I pray for boldness to come in those moments. I pray for your presence to be there. Help us to take the risks in love, in wisdom. And God, I pray for those here this morning who feel like that door that's had a lot of layers of paint slapped on them. And they know that there's some garbage that just needs to get removed from their lives. And right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, lift that out. Remove that thing from our life. God, I pray for new victory, new beauty to come forth in our lives. And Lord, I pray for those who need healing this morning, physical healing. I ask God that this is Pentecost. This is a Sunday where we remember how your spirit was poured out in dramatic power with miraculous signs on Pentecost. And we say this morning, God, would you do that again and bring physical healing to people's bodies right here in this place? God, release your healing power. Touch people's bodies. Bring healing now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Let your miraculous be experienced today and throughout this week, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd just like to say a prayer of blessing
2: over our meal. We'll go to lunch from this. And uh, during this closing song, if there's some unfinished business that you may have in your own life, uh, we just invite you to go all. Thank you. Significant places, but in significant ways. You empower us to do that today as we mm-hmm. consecrate this mission uh, day and this mission day yes. you for your purpose. Thank you for the fellowship that's ours in this place. You. May you still so be a fire within our hearts. We lie. grace to cross, that you sense your spirit, that you might be as close to us as our next breath and our next thought. Live within us, Lord God. Live us, God. What joy it is to live in you, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Let's sing it. it.